Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. And here we are once again, Dave Deckard, Dia Miller, and the 4-0 and Portland Trailblazers since we last talked that is going to make Dia very happy, I am sure. I can see the unicorns prancing around behind her, doing the rocket's kick, while rainbows shoot out of their horn and spill glitter all over her room. How are you doing, Dia? It is a good week to be a Blazer fan. Man, it, you know, it just... I knew we could do it, Dave. I knew we could do it. It's just a matter of time. I've said at the beginning of the season, and I've said it multiple times, all we had to do was get to the playoffs and we'd be fine. And I I stand by that. I stand by it. We're doing good. Well, I mean, they're going to get to the playoffs, at least if you count the play-in as the playoffs. That's a sure <laughs> Well, no, I mean, it, it, they could still be in the play-in. But, I mean, I count that as the playoffs. I think... The play-in tournament should be counted as you made it to the playoffs, more or less. It's it's Agreed. playoffs is ten seeds now, basically. Just the lower ones go in in battle to be seventh and eighth. I know not everybody thinks of it that way, but I think the Blazers made it. They have won eight out of their last nine, which matches the losing streak that they had before and kind of evens it out mostly. So well done. They've beat Cleveland the Lakers, the Spurs, and the Rockets. Three of those four were blowouts, everything but L.A. The Cavaliers is 105 to 141. Lakers was 101 to 106. Spurs was 102 to 124. And the Rockets was 129 to 140. That's a good win margin. That's better than we've been seeing from them. Well, in this this stretch of games, it seems like they've been doing this a lot. And it's nice. It's really nice to not win by one point. I mean, a win is a win. I'll take the one-point win, but it's nicer to win by 30. Yeah, I mean, when you don't defend the Blazers, they're going to rack up 130, 140 points. And basically, that's what at least two, if not three of these teams did. San Antonio made a try, but their defense wasn't that great. Houston had no defense. Cleveland had no defense. And the Blazers just racked them up. But Damian Lillard, leading scorer in all four of these games. In fact, the last five games, he's, he's done that. He has turned up the aggression to a new level. It's either him at the start of the game or him getting the ball to Yusuf Nurkic inside and Nurkic perhaps scoring or feeding CJ McCollum. But it all starts with Dame and he's come back to near midseason form and he's come back to play evidently and the Blazers are prospering because of it. Yeah. And, and on top of that, because of these leads that we've had, he's also gotten to rest a little. He hasn't had to play quite as many minutes in most of those, if I am not mistaken. they've I know they've played the bench a little bit more than we were seeing before, where Dame, it seemed like, was playing the entire game. They did against Cleveland San Antonio. In Houston, they had to keep the starters in for a while because the bench gave up the lead. Los Angeles, of course, was tooth and nail to the end. But yes, he's gotten a little more help, let's put it that way. And yeah. specifically, CJ McCollum, Norman Powell, which was happening the podcast before we talked about the three guards, 
But right. also, they've made a concerted effort to involve Yusuf Nurkic, not just on the defense, but in the offense, to get him energized and fed early, to run the ball through him in the first quarter, allow him to pass or score. And it's it's worked wonders, I think, for him. His energy level has been way up. And you know, you don't even notice Ennis Cantor as much in these games, which is a clear difference from midseason and not necessarily a horrible thing for the Blazers because Nurkic is just kind of taken over. Yeah, let's talk about Nurk for a minute because, you know, with the Laker game, we saw the return of fans to the Moda Center finally. We were the last team in the league to have fans back, and it was a very small percentage. It's only 10%. So it was basically about 1,900 fans, if I'm correct on that. 1,900 and some. Yeah, so I think 1,934 was the count or something like that. it's, It's not a lot. It's not a lot of fans. And so the fans return. And with that is Nurk's entrance to fans. This is the first time that Nurk has played in front of fans since his injury, his his leg injury. Right. You know, obviously he was injured again this season. But last season, you know, he worked and he worked and he worked and he was getting ready to come back and play. And then COVID happened and everything shut down and he didn't get to play in front of fans. And then they went into the bubble and then this season started with no fans. So Nurk hasn't been in front of fans. This is the first time that Nurk has been back in front of fans since his big injury. And and that's a long wait. That is a long wait. And, and having the fans back has apparently made a difference. There's been a lot of talk about that. Dame said in one of his interviews, when they told us it would be 10%, I didn't know how much of a difference that would make in such a huge building. But I guess we didn't realize how bad an empty building was because that felt like a normal game. So the fans came in with a vengeance and made a lot of noise. Yeah, I mean, you wonder, and again, teams should take care of business, whether they're playing in front of zero people or a million. That said, the emotional effect, I mean, space matters. And I'm not saying that's affecting the Blazers now. I don't know how much of a, I don't know if the fans just a good story or whatever. It coincides with the four game winning streak or three games anyway. That's a nice story, but I don't know how much difference it's really making. That said, what is true is that space echoing around you does drain emotion. Anybody who's ever tried to hold a small group in a big room understands this. You got six people talking infinite, uh, intimately and you've got, 1600 square feet around you of open space it doesn't feel right you've got to be right sized for the activity and i can imagine that playing basketball in a 20,000 seat arena that is empty just does not feel the same emotionally and i can see where filling that space makes a huge difference the blazers have played way better on the road than they have at home so maybe other people's fans even have made that difference who knows I would say that. I would point that out, though. Whatever they've lost at home, they've kind of made up on the road. I mean, they've been road agnostic this year and and actually done really well. So it probably all evens out in the end, but it is good to have the fans back, I'm sure. It is. Yeah, it's. And even as somebody watching the games and, you know, seeing the that Laker game, I was all the way in Los Angeles. There was no chance I was going to that game. But even I could feel the energy between, you know, social media and seeing the clips and hearing the announcers and hearing, you know, everybody talking about it. There was just a different energy than we've had all season. And for a team like the Blazers, who plays in a place like the Motor Center that is that is famous for the noise and the fans, I think that that was needed. And I think regardless of what difference it actually makes, I think you're exactly right that morale has been boosted by that. You know, these are guys. Yeah, I don't know if you did you see the clip 
of them running out onto the court the first night. If you have not seen that clip, you need to go look it up. I believe it's on the Trailblazers social media. But there's a clip. <clears throat> it's on BlazersEdge.com, a little website that you may have heard of. <laughs> If you just scroll back down our front page, you'll probably see it. You may have to go to page two by now because we publish so much stuff to you. You should really check it out. I, you, I, you, you know, I, should. I did that post myself. So, yes. So it's on Blazer's Edge. Okay. So it's on Blazer's Edge. It's just a fantastic video. I mean, you can just see the giddy excitement of, of being back with fans. And I think that that really, that morale boost was something, especially going into the Laker game. That was great for us. So I, I do think that those fans, you know, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Let me take you back to the 90s, the Drexler era. Everybody brought signs. And what an opportunity. If they'll let you in with signs, ladies and gentlemen, you should bring them because you know they're going to get on camera now. If you had a sign, yeah. I mean, and you're going and you're one of the 1900, you're not even one of the 19,000 anymore. Literally, right. they're going to be begging to look at you. So right. get creative with your signs and stuff if they'll let you. Yeah. And I don't know what the protocol is with COVID and stuff, but I don't imagine it would be that that would be prohibited. Although they don't let backpacks and stuff in often now. I don't know about Moda Center, but anyway, I think signs, if they're still okay, you should bring them. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes things fun and interesting. What an experience to get to be a fan right now. I'm dying a little inside that I'm so far away and tickets are so hard to come by because what a cool experience to be one of only 1,900 people in a stadium, probably it'll never happen again. Probably next season we'll go back to at least more capacity, if not, if not full capacity, probably more. This is a chance, man, to get to watch them with a very small capacity. And here's your challenge, Blazers fans. I want to see the wave with 1,900 people. You can do it. Make the wave work with the, with the 1,900. And let's see, best wave ever. Let's just make that challenge right now for the next game. If you listen to Blazer's Edge, if you yeah. listen to this podcast. Sunday, May 16th, we want to see the wave versus yeah, the we want to We want to we see the wave. That, that, would be, that would be a sight. And signs. <laughs> a sight. A lot of talk about Derek Jones Jr. not playing. You is know. that interesting? You say interesting. Thing. Is that like the top chef version of interesting? Like, oh, that was interesting <laughs> yeah we do this in my family where if if you don't really like like someone's haircut or or shirt it's oh that's interesting that's an interesting choice yes. <laughs> so yes you caught me this is my you know i i don't like to be negative i like to be as upbeat as possible so yes interesting dave you called me out <laughs> you are right <laughs> It was um, an interesting season. Yes, it was an no. It was a good season. Oh, We're okay. Doing so good. now we've now we've defined where the line is. We've got great, good, and interesting. Okay, I just had to define terms there. And I'm sure there's worse than interesting. We haven't hit that yet. So one of the things that's been talked about fairly frequently that I've seen on on Twitter, on you know Facebook groups that I'm in, there's a lot of talk about Derek Jones Jr. not playing, and I get it. I get it. I'm a Derek Jones Jr. fan. I love watching him play. He's one of those that just is fun to watch. He may not be the best in the league, but he is fun to watch and, and he's good. And so there is a little bit of a question. I've been one to question as well. Why in the heck is he not playing? Why have we had this big stretch of time where he's not? I mean, he went from being a starter at one point 
to having literally zero minutes in games. What gives? What's going on? Did you see that dunk versus the Rockets, by the way, where he got yes. the ball at three-point arc, faked it, drove by, jumped in the air, painted a Picasso, rolled some sushi, listened to Taylor <laughs> Swift's latest album, switched the ball to the other hand, called his mom, and then jammed it? <laughs> I mean, it, it was just, wow. I mean, that that was, yeah. he reminds you, right? Well, and, but the Blazers weren't defended in that game, right? And that baseline cut was open and they found him. I think it was Lillard on the assist, if I'm not mistaken on that one. Uh, oh, well, he got him the ball at the three-point arc anyway. DJJ kind of assisted himself, thank you. But <laughs> yeah, it shows what he could do yeah. if the conditions are favorable. Right. Two conditions are not favorable for him right now. And they're not under his control. One is Terry Stotts always shortens his rotation this time of year. He just does. The last couple of weeks of the season going into the playoffs, he pretty much plays a playoffs rotation and probably doubly so since the Blazers are in a battle to stay out of the play-in position. So shortened rotation is going to cut the number of playing spots. Also, Norman Powell. I mean, it yeah. just they brought Norman Powell on board to play. There's no spot at guard for him to play. So he's going to play small forward. And he's going to eat up a lot of those minutes. And when he's not eating minutes, the Blazers are valuing continuity. So, I mean, you get Carmelo Anthony eating minutes. Who else? Anthony Simons is coming off the bench at shooting guard and they're playing someone else yeah. at the three guard. I mean, it's just, there's just not small forward minutes available in the shortened rotation, I should say. So Jones yeah. Jr. is on, on the outs. That said, number one, I think he could still affect a playoff game, possibly, if it's the right matchup, especially. Number two, though. We've got to admit that the Blazers have not used Jones Jr. to full effect this season, nope. nor has he been able to play to his peak potential, particularly on defense. It's a both sides thing. It's both and. It's not one or the other made a mistake or whatever. This is just how it's turning out. And I think rightfully at this point, we would not expect Jones Jr. to be back next year. Coaching change may change that, but I think that probably he's going to be somewhere else. If that's the case, why would you not give more minutes to Powell if they're available? It's, it's right. not like Jones Jr. is making a huge difference right now. It's not like he's in your future. At this point, he's kind of in no man's land. It's so hard in situations like this because I feel like he came in and people really loved him. Fans really love him. You know, he's one that gets talked about. And it's hard to watch the guys that you just want to see succeed ride the bench and not get playing time. That's That's hard. As a fan, that's hard. But you're right. You know, we're in a situation right now where we're fighting it out for that sixth seed and it's and what we're doing is working. And it's one of those things sometimes where I feel like if it's not broken, don't fix it. Like if what we're doing is working, let's stick with that. So I hate seeing him not get playing time. But at the same time, I think it's a good call when what we're doing is working. And I think you're right. I, I would be shocked if he's back next year. I know that with dots status up in the air. You know, that kind of changes everything, I think, especially if they make other changes as well to, you know, as far as the front office goes and things like that. If we see that happen, then some bigger moves may be made. And who knows? It, it's really at that point, it's a it's a crapshoot. We don't know what the heck is going to happen. Well, um, the but, problem for the Blazers, though, is that Jones has a player option at nine point seven million, which is pretty close to what he's making now. So there's. There's a marginal raise in there, but not much. He's likely to opt out of that, I'm thinking. Unless th he can't go, unless he can't get paid somewhere else. Well, here's the problem is I don't think that next, this summer's, I should say, free agent class is really huge. I mean, you got Kyle Lowry, 
he's big. You got, I think you got one or two other players, but it's not really expected to be a big, big free right. agent kind of summer. And teams are still going to have some money. So I bet he's thinking he can get paid at minimum equally, if not yeah. better, somewhere. If the Blazers let Stotts go and made a run at keeping him, I think he might agree to that if they gave him more money. Right. But the Blazers are going to pay him and the Blazers are going to play Norman Powell too. I don't see that Probably happening. Not. Probably not. So, I mean, Powell may just leave instead, in which case Jones may become a more viable option. But I'll tell you, there's some hopes pinned on Nasir Little, aren't there? I mean, that yeah. he's played yeah. better. So maybe he's taking that small forward spot. Or, I mean, who knows? If Zach Collins ends up playing out one more year, he would take the small forward spot or sorry, power forward spot, and Robert Covington might move to small forward. There are a lot of possibilities that could still get Jones edged out unless they clearly pay him and bank on him as the starting small forward, but he hasn't shown that he can do that. So it just just feels like he's lost in between. He's going to fall through the cracks, and that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, I think Norman Powell was the big game changer there because before that, he was starting often, and now it's just they've shifted how... They're running that offense and, you know, they've put Norman Powell in there and it's just, it's just a different picture than it was before. So it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward with the, with those contracts. A lot hangs on what they decide to do with that. Well, and for anybody who's doubting, Derek Jones Jr. Bing, brings a lot, but he's not Robert Covington and on defense and he's not consistent. And lately, Powell's been getting close to 20 points a game, if not over. I mean, in the Houston yeah. game that Dame had 34, CJ and Norman Powell both had 28. That's 90 points yeah. from those three guards. As I mentioned on Twitter, it got a lot of response, but it's true. Right. 90 points from those three guards. Yeah. So are you going to take, you know, 90 points from those three guards and not play Derek Jones Jr.? Or are you going to play Derek Jones Jr. and take 70 points? Yeah. I don't think he's worth yeah. that 20-point gap in anybody's imagination. I'm not saying it's going to happen all the time that they score 90, but you get the idea. You'd rather have right. Norman Powell's offense and the defense that he can bring rather than Derek Jones right. Jr.'s defense, which is not demonstrably more, but his offense is a lot less. It's just so hard, I think, as a fan, when there are players that are likable that you let, and especially a player like Derek Jones Jr., who who flies and does impressive things. Like he'll do it a couple times in a game, and it's incredible, and you love to see it, and it makes you want more. But if he's only doing it a couple times in a game, that's you know four points versus what Norman Powell is doing. So it's so hard as a fan who enjoys watching the game of basketball and enjoys what he can do, it's sometimes hard to really take a step back and look at it and say, okay, this is a good move because you like him. And, and even as a person, you know, he's one of these guys that I've, I personally have really grown attached to as a person, you know, the, the personality that we see where he's a little camera shy and he's a little soft-spoken and, and, you know, he just seems like that friend that you want to hang out with. And I don't know, I just like him. And so it's hard to watch that for those who I've seen commenting about this, I don't think that there's some big shady thing going on behind the scenes. I think this is pretty cut and dry. I, I think it's just a matter of exactly what we've just spelled out. This isn't some like who Derek Jones Jr. tick off. I've seen that a couple times and I, I don't think it's anything like that at all. Bottom line, he can't shoot the three. I mean, he's not that corner three is not his thing the same way it's become for Covington and company, right? He's the third guy you'd want shooting it uh, of the wings. You, Covington and Powell, you're fine with. Derek Jones Jr., you cross your fingers. 
long story short, that's it. If he could hit a three, then this story might actually be different, even with the defensive whatever. And that yeah. is the one part of his game that just hasn't developed. Maybe that's in his control. I don't know. But that's the only part in his control. The rest of it is roster priorities, it's coaching, it's players around him and the way it's constructed, and has nothing inherently to do with him. He's fine. The Blazers are fine. This just hasn't been the fit that people desired. And it could be if they got a really solid defense around him, allowed him to take risks, and he could learn to shoot a three-pointer, then it would be a match. But neither one of those things have happened, and they're not likely to over the summer. I just think that that's always something that is interesting to talk about because I think, you know, it's it's a lot of times it's a lot more cut and dry than it appears. I don't think that this is a team that typically there's issues where they bench people. I think usually it has to do with what's going on play-wise, and I think that's what we're seeing here. It depends, but if there are, Jones Jr. is not in that got benched because he did something wrong category. You know what? The Blazers also don't fast break a ton. I mean, they're better. They're better than they were. They're middle of the pack. Yeah. But you know what? Jones Jr. would be great running with Anthony Simons if you could get the kind of aggressive turnover shot blocking defense that disrupted the opponent and then let the Blazers leak out. But very few people actually leak out anymore. You can't leak out. You know why you can't? You know, back in the 90s, even in the early 2000s, you'd see some of those guards or forwards who weren't going into the rebound. They'd sneak out early, get out on the break, and you get an unopposed fast break dunk. You can't do that anymore because the guy they're guarding can hit a three. So if you take even two steps out and you don't get that play made, all of a sudden the opponent is sinking a three-pointer and that's that's worth more than the dunk you would have gotten. So Jones Jr.'s game has just kind of, you know, he's, he's about 10 years too late or he's about five years too early or four in his developmental cycle to fit what the Blazers need right now. Yeah, well, and the Blazers are such a three-point shooting heavy team. I mean, that's they live and die by the three-point. That's a big part of what they do. And so if that's not fitting, yeah, it's just... Anyway, we've, we've talked about this a lot, but I think that's something... I've seen a lot of question about it, so Let, I think it's worth... Let's go here, though. Since Norman Powell has been playing well, how much do you see the double dame at half-court defense? It's not not as, as much. much. No, no. Think back and look now. How many how many yeah. opponents have been able to do it? Not very much because you know no. what? Powell's going to put a layup on you. And by the way, or that's also McCollum. something. Yeah, or McCollum. Or- well, McCollum's going to pull up, but Powell will will make a layup. That's something that you didn't see with Jones in there either. I mean, right. you can you can see the ripple effects where teams were free yeah. to consistently double teamed. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I think little changes like that that make a difference as far as uh, especially guard double teaming Dame, that's that's huge to get rid of that. To have only one guy on Dame is huge because he'll, most of the time, he can go around it. So that's a big difference maker as well. You're right. Right. And then and right. then getting Nurkic in his screen action, because you know it's coming in the playoffs. Somebody's going to try it again. But when they try it, the Blazers want to have their counters ready. And Derek Jones Jr. is not a counter to that. He would be if, and only if, that double team were coming around the three-point arc. But it's coming so far out that there's no possible way that Jones can make a baseline cut and Lillard can lob the ball that far. It just, the timing won't work. Dame would have to lob the ball before Jones left his position in the coffin corner for those two to meet for a Jones alley-oop dunk, and that just won't work. So Jones is not part of the equation of breaking that double team against Dave or Dame, rather, Norman Powell is. 
Yeah, it's it's just a better fit. It really is. Norman Powell has made a big difference since since we've had him. I think we've seen that. We talked about that. He's fitting really well. And I think the longer we have him, the more we see that. And so that seems to be what's going on here. A couple things to talk about with that Rockets game. You know, there were some really cool things that happened. One, the most points in a quarter in franchise history were scored. So the first quarter, the first quarter, just to clarify, this is not the first half. This is the first quarter. The Blazers scored 50 points, which is the most points in franchise history to be scored. I think it, I think it tied. No, no, that oh, broke the record. Right. It was the yeah. most. Yeah. Then they also tied. That's where the tie was coming from. The league record of most three pointers in one quarter with 12 three pointers made. So it was a solid first quarter for the Trailblazers in that Rockets game, as well as obviously it's been said dots 400th win with the Blazers, that's a big deal. That's a big accomplishment. So the Rockets game had some big things going on. The third most important was the franchise record for the quarter because, I mean, I think 49 was the amount that the Blazers got in the perfect first quarter against San Antonio uh, back in 1990. Yes, or it could have been 90. No, it was 1990. But that was much more impressive because San Antonio was a playoffs opponent. San Antonio had David Robinson. San Antonio was coming out. They had just lost to the Blazers in the conference finals. I think that was the finals the year before. It could have been the semis. Either way, they'd just been eliminated by the Blazers in the playoffs the year before. They wanted to come out and show that they were going to put Portland away, and Portland shellacked them in their first meeting, just sent them home after 12 minutes of play. That was the most impressive basketball quarter I think I've ever seen anywhere at any time. So this one, I mean, that was nice, but 50 is not greater than 49 in my mind. However, the three-point shooting was impressive, especially for CJ McCollum. That was brilliant. That was the third most important thing. The second was Stotts with his 400. You don't get that a lot. I mean, anyone who thinks he's not a good coach, that number says he's a good coach, not just... I mean, people will say longevity, but you don't get that longevity unless you're a good coach. That's what I was going to say. Really, the longevity says a lot about who he is as a coach as well. I think that's something that gets kind of pushed to the side, but that that in and of itself is impressive. Look, he's had some down seasons, but you don't get to 400 wins winning 40 games a year for 10 years in a row. You get fired long before that. You get to 400 wins with the same franchise because that franchise believes in you. That franchise does good things with you. You have a rapport with your players. You have a rapport with the the front office. It's all of these things Stotts has. I hesitate to say he's the greatest coach in franchise history because obviously some coaches are more legendary. They've done more things, granted. But he's one of the best. I mean, he's in the top three or four without a doubt. So kudos to, to... Coach Stotts, that was an amazing accomplishment. Still, both of those pale, I think, to beating the Lakers on Friday night because that was the must-win game. That was the game that kept the Blazers in basically the sixth spot that made L.A. have to catch them. Now, the Lakers have a fairly easy schedule going down the stretch. There is a real possibility, especially with Anthony Davis resurging, that they will go 4-0. The Blazers will need to go three and one in their final four in order to secure the sixth spot. They've already beaten Houston, so they're one and oh. They are on the road at Utah on Wednesday, on the road at Phoenix on Thursday. 
those are going to be hard to win both of them. I mean, back-to-backs against the two best teams in the conference, both of whom have something to play for. If nothing else, they want to play to beat you because they know they're going to face you later if you're any good. If they go one and one in those, that's good. They don't want to go 0 and 2. That's the goal. Win one of them. If they win both of them, they're free. Okay, but let's assume they go 1 and 1. That leaves the Denver game. If the Lakers are perfect and the Blazers go 1 and 1 on this two-game road trip here, then they'll need to beat the Nuggets on Sunday and that's what it will come down to. And that could be really exciting. I mean, I like this finish. Another reason I like the play. I don't. I just want them to win everything. Right. But <laughs> back to the original point, long story short, had they lost to the Lakers on Friday, this would have been a much, much different story. Yeah. So that was the win, I think, of the season. Probably shouldn't have asked to be. We could go back to a lot of games earlier that they probably could have won. But given the situation where it was, yeah. that that was a critical game, they came through. And that's the most important thing, I think, to happen this week. And, and they did it. Yeah, I agree. This team in particular seems to be one that the momentum builds and builds and builds and they build off of it and they continue to build kind of like a snowball going down a hill with that in mind. I'm very encouraged looking at the rest of the season and even going into the playoffs. I think, you know, we've had some rough points and we've had some, we've had some good points throughout the season too, but this is a real long stretch uh, where we're seeing them gel. We're seeing them mesh. We're seeing them play good basketball. We're seeing them play good defense. Not even, like acceptable defense. We're seeing good defense. We've been seeing some good defense in these last few games. We're seeing them come out and play like a playoff level team. And I think that, you know, I I'm looking at the end of this and, and thinking that we're not in a terrible spot, even though we have a role and the Lakers is not as hard as ours. I, I still think we're in a good spot. I think this is one of those things where they know what they have to do. And I think this team in particular at this point in the season and and with the momentum that they have will do it. So let's look at the possibilities because when we talk again, it'll be settled. We'll know who they're playing. Right now, the Blazers are in sixth, 1.5 game ahead, games ahead of the Lakers, but the 0.5 kind of doesn't matter because they all said they're one loss ahead of the Lakers, basically. They have to finish tied in order to win because they own the tiebreaker with the Lakers. So if the Blazers get the sixth seed, Right now, they are either going to be playing the Clippers or the Nuggets, depending on how that settles out. And it will yeah. likely be the Clippers because it will probably involve beating the Nuggets to get to the sixth seed. But it's either LA or Denver, okay? Which is a tough series, but that's basically who you want. It's, it's fine. You, yep. could, you could win that. The Mavericks would be better, but that's not going to happen. Or they fall into the seventh seed and they would play the Golden State Warriors for the right to keep that seventh seed. You don't really know. I mean, the Blazers should be able to win that, but Steph Curry, you don't count out Steph Curry ever, just like you don't count out Damian Lillard. And it's kind of, it's whichever one comes up super huge is going to win that game, probably. You'd bet the Blazers would win it. If they did, they would be matching up against either the Suns or the Jazz. If they lost it, then they would play the Grizzlies or the Spurs uh, for the final play-in game. That's the fail-safe. And I bet the Blazers would win that. They better win that. If they don't win that one, hang your heads in shame, right? Because with everything on the line, you should be able to beat Memphis. You should be able to beat San Antonio. That said, the problem with that scenario, uh, you'll either get the Suns or the Jazz. So it really doesn't make much difference. If they're seventh or eighth, they're going to get a tough team, okay? They should be agnostic as to whether they finish seventh or eighth, probably. But the problem with that scenario of having to go to the second play-in game 
It's that you get no rest. Your prep time is cut in half or in a third. So the Blazers really, really want to get in that sixth seed to get a week's worth of rest and to be able to prepare for an opponent that they know is coming. And that's the big bonus. I do not anticipate them missing. The, they'll at least get the eighth seed unless disaster strikes, but they'd really rather have the sixth. And that's the end of the story. Yeah, I think rest is maybe the most crucial aspect of that. I, you know, I think that's something that's maybe a little underrated in this. To me, it's a lot more about that than it is about what team they're playing. I think we've said before, you know, they need to be ready to face whatever team is left. I, if you're going to win a Western Conference Finals, if you're going to win a championship, you're going to be taking on the best teams. That's how it goes. So we need to be ready to, you know, to face any of those teams. But that rest I think that's one of the things that killed us in the bubble last year. You know, we fought so hard. Here I go switching back to we. I was doing so well saying they, and now I'm back to we. <laughs> We're fine. You've got rainbows um, and unicorns this week. You're good. We, the rainbows, <laughs> unicorns, and blazers. I think that was one of the things that killed us going into the bubble last year. Is we fought so hard to get that spot that then they were exhausted. And so trying to turn around and take on the Lakers in that, you know, after they had, after they didn't really have a break, that's rough. And so I think having that downtime and having that rest while the other teams fight it out is crucial. I think we need that. I think we need that more than, than the seeding itself. Yeah, probably. The only caution is you really don't want to put yourself in a coin flip against the Warriors to avoid one game to end your season. True. You know, the reason that they, they made the playoffs seven game series through the first round because they used to be best of three, and then they were best of five, and then they're best of seven. And part of that's money. They get to sell more games. But also, the league really, really, in the David Stern era, wanted to upset proof it. I mean, they wanted to protect their higher seeds, because those higher seeds were often people like the Lakers or whatever. And you did not want to put your marquee franchise in a best of three series where they could sneeze and lose. Coin flip against the Warriors. And then, yeah, if you lose it, you expect to beat the Grizzlies or Spurs, but it's not even sneezing and losing at that point. If you blink, if something, if a ref makes a bad call or something weird happens or you have an off shooting night, one off shooting night, your entire season is gone. You just don't want to be there. In addition to the rest, it's pretty important for them to just claim the seed outright. Don't put themselves in that position because of the top seven teams, the Blazers, I would say, maybe closely with the Mavericks, are the most likely to, to blow that. They're the, they're the least predictable, okay? You just name any two games the Blazers play this season, and you cannot predict how they're going to do based on opponent or anything else. It's just, it's either good Blazers or bad Blazers, and often there's no rhyme or reason to it. They don't need the extra games. Stay out of it. Mission accomplished. Yeah, I agree. I, I would really like to see them secure that that succeed or maybe i mean it's it's possible even to end up in the fifth yeah. if i i mean if if the mavericks lose that's a possibility as well i, I don't know that that's necessarily better for yeah, us yeah it, it, basically if you stay out of the play-in you're either going to draw the clippers or nuggets whether you're five or six it just depends on right. how they shuffle it. so right. you're either in the clippers nuggets first round matchup or if you go into the play-in tournament you're going to be in the jazz suns and I think right. for the Blazers, it's clearly better to be in the Clippers Nuggets. Agreed. Agreed. Right. These are a few tough games that we have here, but we're going into them in a good position and with a lot of good momentum. And I think, 
you know, I think they're hyped up. I think they're mentally in a place where they think that they'll win and they think that they'll do good. And I, I think that's where we need them. Basically, the moral of the story is you can lose the first game. You can lose against Utah. You can't lose both. And it'd be more fun to win the first game because then you give cushion, right? But yeah. they cannot get derailed entirely if the Jazz beat them because the Jazz have beaten 72.5% of their opponents this year. I mean, let's face it. Their point differential is incredibly good. They score more than the Blazers per game and they defend seven points better. I mean, the points per game, the Jazz score 116.7, the Blazers score 116. So you know the, the offense that Portland has? The Jazz have that too. It's the same right. awesome offense. But the defense... Portland defends at 114.5 points per game allowed. The Jazz at 107.5, which is the best of the playoff, you know, top six teams. Right. So, and that seven point differential is absolutely enormous. But we have, we have done better in this last stretch of games than that. We've, we've, we are not, if you, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm saying this off the top of my head right. without looking at anything in front of me, but the last seven, eight games, I would be willing to bet that our defensive rating is, is better than that. It is. And the thing will be to prove that out. And here's the problem with that. I mean, Hey, you got to say Nurkic is back and Powell is here. The defense is better. And you can, I think, draw it back to say if Nurkic had been this Nurkic and had been present all season long, and had Powell been present all season long, the defense would have been better. That's fair. To say the defense would have been excellent, I'm not sure we're there yet. And part of the reason I'm not sure we're there yet is because defense is one of those things that you literally prove over a long stretch of time. A lot of people can have a streak of games where you look pretty good and you say, how many times have we said a team has turned the corner and then yeah. two weeks after they're back to their old block, right? I need to see the Blazers defend for months, not weeks, no matter what the personnel changes are, because we've been here before. We've said this before, and it kind of hasn't happened. I think thumbs up on the defense, but I don't trust it yet, and I don't think Portland should trust it yet. They need to work for it and prove it, and then it will be a reality. Yeah. I mean, you know where I fall on this. I think we're in a good place. I'm really positive about it. Yeah. I'm feeling good. Me too. I'm, I'm just, I'm I'm just more positive about the Jazz because they've literally done it all season. They've done what Portland wants to do. And there's a right. difference between those two things. And I get the injuries and whatever and Nurkic's up and downs and stuff like that. But there, whatever it is we say, we say Utah's done it. What Utah did, Portland needs to do. And then we'll be somewhere. So maybe it can happen. Let's see. But the start is not losing both those games in Utah or Phoenix. Or if they're going to lose both of them, which eh, might happen, especially if you lose the first one, the second one is a back-to-back. -back. It's not happening. It's not happening, Dave. The, the second one's happening. a back-to-back, -back, though. I mean, that's the problem. I know. And so you get issues of fatigue and whatever. But if they do lose both of them, the other thing to hope for is that the Lakers stumble, which is certainly possible yeah. because they yep. have two. You're looking for the Lakers to lose one. Or the yep. Blazers to only lose one, and then you're yep. going to be okay, probably, as long as you can beat Denver. Yeah, I mean, I, I was wearing my, my Knicks hat today, because today we're all, uh, Ooh, we're all yeah. Knicks fans today, because... You have it on. You indeed have one. I, I yeah, can testify. I, we're all Knicks fans today. We need the Lakers to lose, and that would be good. It's interesting how you start really rooting for other teams that you've never really rooted for before, because 
of how this all shakes out. It's just, this is one of the things I love about this. I love how that works. I love just really wanting to watch another team that I don't follow win so badly. Yeah. Well, you know what the real headache's going to be, though, is if Dallas, Portland, and LA get embroiled in a potential three-way scenario. That's going to be bad. Because that's different than head-to-head. And I, I've learned to not even check it till it gets really close because there are hundreds of permutations. But this is how, this is part of the reason Blazers Edge became famous back in the day is because we could figure that stuff out weeks in advance and tell you exactly what would happen. And everybody else, even the papers and stuff, were getting it wrong. Yeah. So it's not like we've never made an error in that vein. We have once or twice, but by and large, we could tell you how the three ways are going to turn out. That said, it's more trouble than it's worth until you get like <laughs> within two days of it actually happening. Right. So right. we'll have to watch that scenario too. Yeah, it's stressful. And this is one of the things that, you know, as a casual sports fan, you don't maybe pay as close of attention to, but when you really start following a team, it's interesting to watch how you, you become invested in other teams, wins and losses because it affects you ultimately. Yep. Well, the most important thing is the Blazers still own one loss on the Lakers. Blazers 29, Lakers 30. And if they end up tied, Portland edges them out. So the Lakers have to make up two losses on the Blazers uh, by Portland losing two. If Portland doesn't lose two, they can't lose. If Portland does lose two, then the Lakers still have to be perfect. That's the long story short. Hopefully the Lakers aren't perfect. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't care if, if LA make, goes in the play-in, that's fine. I'm sure, I'm sure they're going to come out of it. I don't see any yeah. way in which they lose twice. No, but I would love to see it. But it would be funny. <laughs> but I would love it. The sad trombones would be playing in the NBA headquarters. I mean, that would be just incomprehensible. I don't see any any reason that, er, at all that they would lose. I mean, even if they lost to the Warriors, you tell me Lakers Grizzlies uh, or Lakers Spurs that yeah, LA is unlikely. going to lose that one. It's I mean, unlikely. It, it would be a heck of a thing for Memphis, though. We're young and we're stupid and we don't care. We're just going to run it down your throats. And they're going, this is not supposed to happen. We have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Yeah, but you're both slow. So see you later. We're going to dunk. I mean, Man. what a story that would be for 10 seconds. I would love it. But then everybody I would, love would it. look around at a Western Conference bracket without the Lakers and go, oh. Phew, we don't have to watch them anymore. <laughs> yeah, okay. But the rest of the league would go, wah, wah, wah. I mean, I've never obviously been a fan of the Lakers. They've been, I, I've liked 29 other teams more than them, but living in Los Angeles has made it a million times. I mean, I cannot tell, I finally, I don't usually get on my, you know, phone and make comments when we beat the Lakers because I always know it's going to come back and it's going to bite me in the butt later. But after this last one, I was saying everything I could because, you know, I can only take so much, Dave. Yeah, I, I know, but so you, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask something. This is going to be on fire, probably. I don't like the Lakers for a million reasons, of course, just like you don't. I might actually like the Clippers less at this point in time. Oh, I don't. I like the Clippers way more. Oh, no. I See, I used to like the Clippers. They were kind of the, okay, let's root for them because they suck. But Paul George, who I still think would be great on the Blazers, but hard to like him in LA. Kawhi Leonard, hard to like him. Patrick Beverly, hard to like him. I don't. I like Kawhi Leonard, actually. I really like him. Well, I mean, like as an opponent, though. I mean, it's just he's not—he's a superstar, but doesn't really have that carriage or charisma. But that's that, what I like about him. Well, of course, like, I get it, but it's just not. It's, it's a toxic stew down there, and the Clippers yeah. don't like the Blazers, and the Blazers don't like the Clippers, and they jaw at each other. And I kind of think I kind of have more nastiness toward the Clippers now than the Lakers. 
I'll tell you what I think the determining factor is for me. Mm-hmm. I can't stand Laker fans. I can't stand Laker fans. I can I can walk into a store here with my blazer gear on and have a fine conversation with a Clippers fan. I have friends that are Clippers fans and they're fine and we can talk basketball. But the second that I start talking to a Laker fan, it's just like their the, their sense of reality is just out the window. It's it's just and like the the worst has been listening to them complain about injuries to me. I'm like, have you have you seen the Blazers? Have you seen our history of injury? I just have no sympathy. And so it's I think I think at the end of the day, because I I like LeBron and I like Anthony David. I like some of the Laker players. I don't necessarily have so much of a problem with the Lakers as a team. I have a problem with the Lakers fans. And because I live amongst them and I have a lot more people in my direct life that are Laker fan than fans than Clippers fans and the Clippers fans that I know are perfectly normal, nice conversation people when it comes to basketball. But the Lakers fan, I, I, I can't handle them. I can't handle them. Lakers fans are the worst. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not always fond of Mavs fans. Rockets fans can be annoying, but no fan base is annoying when their team sucks. That's just a rule. I mean, Lakers fans are well, when the Lakers suck. Lakers fans are still annoying. They disappear though, except I know you live in their home territory, but for the rest of us, they go away. Yeah, they don't disappear. They, just, they don't disappear for me. They just like don't make a peep. They're like, oh, well, I'll be quiet now. And basketball doesn't matter till we're good again. And it's like, what? What? Well, wait, you could watch the rest of us succeed. Oh, that doesn't count. The Lakers are yeah. like the John Cena of the NBA. They only show up like once every two years and win a championship. And everybody hates them because they only have three moves. Even though I like John Cena way more than I like the Lakers. But that's about what they are. They are not... <laughs> They are not Bret Hart. That would be the Nuggets. You know, Shawn Michaels, the Phoenix Suns, probably. I don't know what the Jazz are, but they are just like the the plastic, you know, chiseled, going to walk in and win a title and otherwise I'm not showing up. That's that franchise. There are people that I really, really like that are Laker fans. But the second we start talking basketball, I can't stand them. <laughs> like, I just, I can't have this conversation with you. I can't do it. My father is a Laker fan. I love my dad dearly, and we have a great relationship. So that is the that it, it's not that at all. But we can't talk about basketball when it involves the Blazers and the Lakers. We can talk about just the Blazers or just the Lakers, but when they play each other or their records, are, we cannot talk about it. And so this does not go away for me. Even if the Lakers have a bad season, I am surrounded and I just can't get past that. I will never, ever like the Lakers. In fact, I was trying to pick a WNBA team and I thought, you know, it would be fun to be a Sparks fan because they're local. I don't have any local teams that I'm a fan of. I, you know, Portland doesn't have a team. I'm not even, I'm not even from Portland. But I went to to Dick's Sporting Goods. I was looking at the spot. And all I could think is this just looks like I'm wearing a Lakers jersey. And I don't know if I can do that. I decorate for Christmas, especially outdoors. I used to do it a lot, a little less in recent years. But my kids loved it. But the prettiest colors actually have some wonderful purple lights and some wonderful golden lights. And together, they're gorgeous. But I will not do a tree or a bush in that color combo. I just can't. I mean... No, They're, of course not. And, you know, I, I do blue and gold, but that even gets close. That makes me itchy. I have to throw another color in there. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just like, no, there's nothing purple or gold anywhere. Although, I loved, it was ESPN, whoever's calling ESPN, I don't know if it was Mike Breen or someone else, what, the Lakers game on Friday, where the Lakers had their blue uniform, what the hell, Oklahoma City reject uniforms, right? <sighs> and they were wearing them, 
And and the ESPN announcer said, oh, yeah, everybody's something, the purple and gold. And they're literally wearing blue and white. I know they're throwbacks, <laughs> probably the Minneapolis, but stop that. I mean, first of all, they were ugly, dull, drab. And L.A. in blue and white, the Lakers, in, it's terrible it's in short. So, yeah, I did. Well, and we were wearing it. It. It looked like it looked like the the Mavericks were playing the Spurs or something because yeah. it was. It was Although, we were wearing our gray. You know ones. what? The Spurs came with their grays into the Moda Center. And I was just thinking, I just want once the blazer gray and the spur grays, which is the same gray, <laughs> to just show up at the same time and like, who you? Who me? What? Yeah. <laughs> like that would be fun. Do it on Brooklyn's court where it's all grayed out. Although. Did you happen to see, I know we're off track now. Did you happen to see the Hawks court? The Hawks, MLK, stained glass? Yeah. Yes, that I did. was awesome. And I'd love yeah. the blue. I mean, maybe it's the churchy side in me, but I'd love to see Portland be able to adopt some version of that. I get red, black, and white doesn't, but you could throw in some blues and golds that are like around the edge. So it's like, it would be like the church of basketball. You know what I yeah. mean? And like yeah. you still have the Blazers logo in the middle, kind of unadulterated, but like you're coming into the cathedral of basketball. That could be so dang impressive. I love that stained glass thing. Way to go, Atlanta. That was definitely cool. I saw a lot of talk about that too. Yeah, they, MLK they stuff really down there, well. of course, is it's just amazing. I love I love the identity of that franchise. I love the identity they found under Nate McMillan. I love how Trey Young is playing. I think Atlanta has really done some work this season. And yeah, it took a coaching change. But at the same time, they seem to have something solid there. And you got to appreciate that if you're a Blazers fan that's been trying for, you know, the better part of 10 years to figure out what solid is. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's it's shaken out to be an interesting end, Dave. <laughs> yep. And next time we talk... We will know what it is. We will know playoff opponents. We will know matchups. We will know whether there's a play in. We'll know a million and two things that we don't know now. That's the excitement of these last three games. Utah Wednesday, Phoenix Thursday, and Denver on Sunday. Until next week, we'll hope the Blazers go 3-0. and That's what Dia is predicting is going to happen. I can see her yep. holding up the sign, 3-0. and All you losers can get out. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to say two and one because I also believe in the Blazers. It's just that back-to-back is going to be hard. Uh, and we'll see what happens. For Dia Miller, I am Dave Deckard. We will see you again soon. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop. But then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave sends her an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. Cloud is on his feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent!